Good morning. This is Pastor Mike Letterman with ChristLives.org. We just finished a series of sermons entitled, Can God Really Do It? Can God Really Do It? I'm hoping that that series of sermons showed you that God really can meet your need. Regardless of what it is, God is always there. Today we start a new series entitled, Jesus the Suffering Servant. This is a series initially on the Gospel of Mark. Now, as you open your New Testament, take a look at the first four books you encounter. These are called the Gospels. The word gospel means good tidings or good news, and these four books are designed to give mankind the heavenly good news concerning Jesus and who he is. These four books paint for us a clear portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. Each of the gospel writers approaches Jesus from a different perspective, and each presents him in a different way. See, Matthew presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. Luke presents Jesus as the son of man. John presents Jesus as the eternal son of God. Mark presents Jesus as a suffering servant. The gospel of Mark is the shortest of the four gospels and deals mainly with the ministry of Jesus. Mark doesn't focus heavily on the words of Jesus. His emphasis is on the works of the Lord. So Mark shows Jesus as the king who came to serve others. The key verse of this book is Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The key words of this gospel are straightway, immediately, anon, and straightly. All of these English words translate the Greek word, which means and speaks of immediate action. Mark's gospel is the gospel of action. It shows Jesus as he moves from one act of service to another. The key doctrines of Mark are the humanity of Christ and the servanthood of Christ. These themes quickly become evident as the book unfolds. The human author of this book is a man known as John Mark. He's spoken of in Acts chapter 12, 12, chapter 15, verse 37, and others. His mother was a believer, and her house was used as a meeting place by the early church. It's noted in Acts 12, 12. Mark was also a cousin of Barnabas, and that's noted in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Mark went with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. He abandoned them before the trip was over and returned to Jerusalem. It can be seen in Acts chapter 13, 13. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark on their second missionary trip, but Paul didn't want him to go. The division between Paul and Barnabas was so great that they parted ways, as in Acts 15, verses 38 through 40. Barnabas took Mark with him, while Paul took a man named Silas. As Mark matured, he proved himself to be a faithful servant of the Lord. Even Paul later spoke of him in the most positive of terms, and Paul calls him a fellow laborer in Philemon chapter 24. When Paul was in Rome, just before his death, he requested that Mark come to him. He was, as Paul said, profitable to me for the ministry. That's in 2 Timothy verses 4.11. So Simon may have had a hand, Simon Peter had a hand in Mark's rehabilitation. And Peter calls him Marcus, my son, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13. Who better to restore a fallen brother than one who's already been there himself. Mark's target audience was probably Gentiles, 
More precisely, he seems to have been writing to a Roman audience. This can be seen in several different ways. See, Mark uses several Latin expressions instead of their Greek equivalents in Mark chapter 5, 9, chapter 6, verse 27, chapter 12, verse 15, chapter 15, 16. Whenever Mark used an Aramaic expression, he always translated it for his readers. If he was writing to a Jewish audience, there would be no need to translate it. This is noted in Mark chapter 317, chapter 541, and the list goes on and on. So whenever Mark used that Aramaic expression, he always translated it. Mark also uses Roman time. You can see that in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, and chapter 13, verse 35. He always carefully explains Jewish customs, Mark chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, chapter 15, verse 42. He carefully explained Jewish customs. If he was writing to a Jewish audience, there would have been no need. Mark omitted details that would be of interest to a Jewish audience, such as genealogies, Old Testament quotations, and details about the Pharisees and Sadducees. The gospel that bears Mark's name was written about 50 AD. This is only about 15 or so years after the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so Mark begins his gospel by sharing the genie I'm sorry, Matthew begins his gospel by sharing the genealogy of Jesus. He feels the need to prove that Jesus is a son of Abraham and a son of David. Luke begins by talking about the events which lead up to the birth of the Lord Jesus. John's gospel stands out in eternity past, reminding us that Jesus is God in the flesh. Mark doesn't start by talking about the Lord's heritage or his birth. Mark's desire is to present Jesus as a servant, and a servant does not need a genealogy. So Mark begins by jumping right into the action. Mark's first sentence serves as a title to the book, and it serves to plunge us immediately into the earthly ministry of Jesus. Mark is going to share with his readers the good news concerning who Jesus is and what he did while he was here. Mark calls the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God. Now, the word Jesus is a Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name Joshua. It means Jehovah is salvation. Jesus is a human name, and it reveals the reason Jesus came into this world. Jesus came into this world to save lost sinners. And you can see that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The name Jesus declares his person. He is called Christ. This identifies Jesus as the Jewish Messiah or the Anointed One. The name Christ declares his position. Jesus is pictured as the one who will deliver his people from their enemies. Then Mark raises the stakes. He calls Jesus the Son of God. Mark lets us know in a very clear terms that he's writing about a man who is no ordinary man. He's writing about a man who is God in the flesh. You can see that in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 14. The name Son of God declares his power. So this title declares four important truths regarding Jesus. I want you to pay attention to these. Lean in here. Number one, he is truly human. He has a human name, Jesus. He is truly divine. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God. 
He's truly unique. He is both humanity and deity in one person. He is the true source of good news because Jesus alone is the source of salvation. We have Mark's introduction of the book that bears his name. Let's begin the process of moving through these verses. We will consider the beginning of the ministry of Jesus as Mark writes about the man who was sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to take a few moments to look at the ministry of John the Baptist. Let's look at John and his mandate. You know, in ancient times, kings often sent people ahead of them to prepare the way for their coming. The forerunner had two primary duties. First, he was to make sure that the roads were passable. There were to be no delays when the king passed through. He was to have a clear, open route through the kingdom. Second, the forerunner was to let the people know that the king was coming. He was to go along the route before the king came through, and he was to tell the people to get ready for the king. John the Baptist fulfilled both duties seen in the ancient forerunner. He came to this world with a divine mission. John was given a heavenly mandate, which he fulfilled while he was here. Let's look at his mandate today. Verses 2 and 3 tell us that John was the fulfillment of two important Old Testament prophecies. Number 1, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then in Malachi chapter 3, 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. If you look at verse 2, you can see that it involved preparation. John cleared the way for the coming of the Lord by appealing directly to the people. The Jewish leaders had long ago forgotten the common man. John came preaching to the people, calling on them to repent because the Lord, the King, was coming to deliver his people. So it involved preparation. It also involved proclamation. John was a lone voice against the dead legalism of the Jews. He was a hard preacher in a dark day, and God used him to touch a generation. I want you to take note that John the Baptist preached during a period when the Jewish religion had become nothing more than a dead religion. Legalism and ritualism ruled the day. The Jews were in desperate need of a spiritual revival. The Gentiles had given up on religion and viewed most religious beliefs as superstition and foolish tales. Both groups needed just what John was preaching, the truth. You know, we are living in a similar day. Many churches have abandoned the great doctrines of the Bible. They have abandoned them to see, preach a message that's rooted in humanism or legalism. People are either never challenged regarding their sins or they are beaten down with the word of God. There is a great need today for men of God in our day who will stand up, open their Bibles, open their mouths, and preach the word of God. Jesus is coming soon. Where are where are the forerunners who are preparing the way for the Lord and proclaiming his return? Preachers, our mandate is the same as the one that John the Baptist received. We are to preach the word of God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. 
So let's look at John's methods. Let's look at John's preaching. John was a preacher. He came telling men of the need for repentance. His message was a message of confrontation. John came confronting sin and calling on people to repent. The word repentance means a change of mind that results in a change of action. The people had sinned, and John called on them to change their minds regarding sin. John was calling on them to clean up their lives in preparation for the advent of Jesus. He was saying, the Lord is coming. The Savior is coming. You need to straighten out your crooked hearts. You need to get the way into your heart prepared for the coming of the Lord. John's message was also a message of change. John told the people that their repentance would result in the remission of sins. The word remission means forgiveness or pardon of sins as as if though they had never happened. John told the people that their repentance would result in God's forgiveness. That's the message that we need in our world today. Where are the preachers who are preaching about repentance and the remission of sin? Most preachers are too busy stroking people's egos and tickling their ears as are some who are on the TV today. They are too busy building their crowds and their own religious empires to their own destruction. We need men of God in this day that will lift up their voices and thunder out against sin. We need men who will not allow position or prestige or prosperity or popularity stand between them and the proclamation of truth. We need preachers who will tell people the truth. I know how hard it is to preach the truth to people who determine what kind of house you can buy and what kind of car you can drive, but they must be told the truth. People need to know that the only way to heaven is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. People need to know that sin kills. People need to know that there's a real hell to shun and a real heaven to gain. People need to know that God still looks for repentant hearts and changed lives. People need the truth. Not everyone wants to be lulled to sleep by the weak, anemic preaching of this day. Some people still want to hear the truth. Some people still want to be confronted by the facts of the word. Those people want to be fed. The rest, those who do not want to hear the truth, need to be confronted. There are plenty of people out there who will not hear the truth. The Bible tells us it will be this way in the end times. You can see that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3-4. to The need for a prophet of God like John the Baptist has never been greater than it is right now. Pray for the men who still carry the mail for the glory of God. Let's look at John's practice. John did something else that was unusual in his day. He baptized Jews. People in that part of the world had been practicing baptism for a long time. When a Gentile became a Jewish convert, that person would baptize themselves as a symbol, a symbol of their changed life. Baptism was not new. The way John used it was. John did not baptize people to make them right with God. The phrase, preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, does not mean that people were being baptized to have their sins forgiven. They were being baptized because their sins had been forgiven. They went to John and were immersed into the River Jordan to declare publicly that their lives had been changed by the power of God. 
They were baptized to give glory to the God who had forgiven their sins and made them whole. In other words, this baptism was about a change of life. This is still what baptism represents. People are not baptized to be saved. They are baptized because they have been saved. Baptism is a picture of a person dying to the old life of sin and rising again to a new life of holiness. By the way, everyone who comes to Jesus and is saved by his grace will be a new creature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. They will live a new kind of life. They will have new desires. They will be different. Jesus changes every life that he touches. Let's look at John's power. We're told that many of the people living in that region region came to John the Baptist to be baptized. These people made a break with their past and were changed by the power of God. Someone has estimated that as many as 300,000 people may have been baptized by John and his disciples. Here's the point. These people traveled some 20 miles on foot. When they arrived where John was, he treated them like they were Gentiles. It must have shaken them to their core. Here was this preacher telling them that they were no better than the Gentiles. When they were confronted with their sins, they saw their sins and they repented. When they did, God forgave them. John just preached the word of God and God honored his word. People responded to the preaching of the Baptist and they came to him confessing their sins and turning from their sinful lifestyles. Of course, not everyone was happy with John's ministry. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to see what all the fuss was about. They came to criticize John and his message. When he saw them coming, he rebuked them for their hypocrisy and called on them to repent also. Look at Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. They refused John's plea and continued on in their sins. You know, we are living in hard times spiritually. There's a trend toward seeker-friendly, feel-good religion. Preachers who call sin what it is and who call for people to repent are getting fewer, fewer by the day. But we are still operating in a time when God will bless his word. If his word is preached as it is written, God will honor that word. People still need to be told that they are sinners. People still need to be confronted with the need for genuine repentance. People still need to get shaken from time to time. So don't despair if this radio sermon isn't like your church down the road. Don't worry when they call me old-fashioned and out of step. Let them make fun of this preaching and our worship that we have together. God still meets with us, and that's all that really matters. Every now and then, he'll pass by and bring with him the fragrance of glory. Every now and then, he will speak to some lost soul, and they will come to Jesus and be saved. Every so often, he will call some wayward saint of God home to Jesus. He is still working. He's still honoring his word. Therefore, we need to stay the course as Christians, carry on for his glory until he comes. Let's look at John and his manner. Let's look at his fashion. See, John didn't wear the fine robes that adorned the bodies of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He did not gravitate toward the finer things in life. His clothing was as rough as his message. He was a man of the desert, and he dressed like a man of the desert. 
He was out of step with his fashion sense. Let's look at his food. John shunned the fine foods of the palace and favored the foods of the desert dweller. He got his honey out of the rocks and lived on such things as he could trust the Lord to provide. He was a common man who did not seek after the allurements and attractions of this world. By the way, his diet was very balanced. Locusts are protein, and honey is carbohydrates. John was a balanced man who was satisfied with the basics of life. You see, John's manner was as unusual as his message. John the Baptist was an odd man, even in his own day. Imagine how this man must have appeared to the people who saw him. He was a Nazarite. That means his hair and his beard had never been trimmed. Nazarites often carried their beard in sacks around their waist to avoid stepping on it. Their hair was braided into seven braids and hung down their backs. It touched the ground. He stepped out of the wilderness dressed in the rough garments of a prophet. He came to the people of Israel with the same spirit of confrontation that dwelt in Elijah 800 years earlier. He came preaching with power. In fact, John was so unusual that he was never invited to preach in the temple and the synagogues. They had no use for a man like him. They didn't want to be confronted. They did not want their little apple cart to be upset. They had it made, and they did not want some weirdo coming to destroy the little religious empire they had constructed. Yes, John came with a different appearance. He came with a strong message. He was out of step with his times, but God was with him. God used John the Baptist in an amazing way to carry out a very powerful ministry. If John teaches us anything today, he teaches us the truth that we do not have to fit in with the world. He teaches us that it's all right to be different. We can dress different. We can talk different. And we can live different. And it doesn't mean that we're weird. It simply means we have a desire to walk with the Lord and honor him. We should never allow this world to force us into its mold. Look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. We should yield ourselves to the Lord, separate from this world, and allow him to mold us in his image. Never be ashamed of who you are, and never be ashamed of who you are not. You know, if you look at verses 7 through 8, these verses give us the content of John's message. He did not preach to build up his name and reputation. John preached to point people to another. He preached to point men to Jesus. These verses tell us what John the Baptist's message was all about. Verse 7 was the message of a humble servant. John the Baptist was a bold preacher. He thundered out against sin and called for people to repent. But when he began to talk about Jesus Christ, John became a very humble preacher. He tells the people who heard him that compared to Jesus, he was a nobody. He tells them he isn't even worthy to do the job of the lowest household slave. John says, I am nothing, but he is everything. John says, I didn't come to call people to me. I came to point people to him. That's a humility that's lacking in these days. This highlights one of the reasons people refuse to deal with their sins. People often compare themselves to the wrong standard. If you look around, you can always find someone who lives worse than you do. You can hold them up and say, see, compared to this person, I don't look so bad. 
That may be true. But if you honestly compare your life to Jesus Christ, you would see how bad you really are. You see, the people were flocking to John. He had the ear of the nation. He had the people eating out of his hand. But when John saw Jesus, John saw how needy John was. And when John saw Jesus, he saw that John was nothing and Jesus was everything. That's why John was willing to step aside so that Jesus might shine. Look at John chapter 3, verse 30. That is why John magnified Jesus. He knew that if people could see Jesus, they would see themselves as they really were. If he saw themselves as they really were, they would see their need of Jesus. They would want him to be their Savior and Lord. So John pointed men to Jesus. There's a message here that people need in this day. If people could ever see Jesus, whether they were saved or lost, they would have a desire to humble themselves before him. They would willingly bow to him in salvation, surrender, and service. John's was the message of a holy Savior. John also told them that when Jesus came, he would do a spiritual work on their hearts. You see, John was using a material element, water, to baptize their bodies. Jesus would use a spiritual element, the Holy Spirit, to baptize their souls. John was taking them and placing them under the water in the symbol of their repentance. Jesus would take them and he would wash their sins away in his blood and he would give them a new life. John wasn't calling people to religion. The people had enough of that. John the Baptist was pointing people to a Savior who could save their souls forgive their sins, and change their lives. By the way, Jesus can still do those things. All those who come to him by faith will be saved, changed, and forgiven. And it's easy as calling on him by faith. Look at Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Romans chapter 10, verses 9. Yeah, the message that John the Baptist preached was an unusual message. He didn't preach to gain the favor of men. He didn't preach to grow a great ministry. He didn't preach to attract a crowd. He preached a simple message about a wonderful Savior named Jesus. He preached a simple message about the need for people to deal honestly with their sins. He preached a message that those need, people needed to hear, and he preached a message we need to hear as well. Has the Lord spoken to you through this message? Do you sense the need to come to Jesus and be saved? If so, you can. If you will come to him and repent of your sins and call on him by faith, he will save your soul, forgive your sins, and change your life. Or maybe you've walked with the Lord and you're not as close to him as you once were. You can come home. God always allows second chances. Maybe you become self-conscious about the way that you've been taught. Maybe you're hearing the siren call of modern churches that are calling you away from the old paths. If you need to get settled with things settled with God, you can do that as well. Whatever your needs are today, they can be met by the Lord Jesus if you bring them to him. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together. Father, if there be those in the sound of my voice that have not accepted your son Jesus, I ask you to lay on their heart the need to come today. Make it right today. And if there are those, Father, that have fallen away from your word, I ask you to, to chasten their soul, Father, and bring them back to you. We need warriors today. People who are willing to stand up for the word of God. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.
If you made a decision today, I would like to know about it. Please send an email to ministry at christ-lives.org or visit www.christ-lives.org and hit our contact page and let us know. If you would like me to pray for you, please enter your information there as well. I promise you nothing that, nothing that you send me will ever find its way to the airwaves or to the internet. My brothers and sisters, I thank you for your time and attention today. May God be with you. Amen.